This morning, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with me, and we'll continue uh, working our way through uh, the Scriptures. Now remember, as we got into chapter 7, prior to that time, Paul was dealing with issues in the church. Division, there was problems, he's dealing with that. Beginning at, uh, here in chapter 7, as we take a look, he's answering questions that were given to him in a letter. So the Corinthian, the Corinthian church had specific questions they wanted Paul to deal with. If you remember, uh, back when we started in chapter 1 uh, of chapter 7, he says, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me. And he goes on to talk to them about, about marriage and singleness and trying to lay out for them the concept. Because you see... They were struggling with which one makes me more holy. Am I more holy if I'm married? Am I more holy if I'm single? And Paul lays out for him, listen, it's, it's, your holiness really doesn't have anything to do with being married or single. There's a few other things that, that will factor into it. And there's some things that we ought to consider prior to marriage or, or when we're single. But the, Paul's main focus is calling them to realize, hey... In whatever place you were called of God, don't be quick to look that you need to be somewhere else. If you were called as a single person, don't think in order to be uh, working efficiently for the Lord, I have to get married. Or if you're married, don't start thinking, well, I need to be divorced to do more of God's work. Because both of those are errors. We want to stay in the place where we're called. And we want to move forward. God, what do you have? Learning, growing understanding more and more of God's revelation to us. And as we finished up last week at verse 24, he said, Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Again, don't look to change. I I met a lot of guys in Bible college. You get focused on wanting to move forward with the Lord. You feel a call of God on your life. And many times guys would join Bible college, begin to study, and they're so sure that God's calling them to a ministry someplace else doing something else that they'll quit their jobs and they put themselves in a place of real hardship and it may be that god never called them to do that so often we forget that ministry begins every morning when we wake up while our heads on the pillow we wake up we open our eyes we had just entered into the ministry if you have a family you're there to minister to your kids and to your wife to your family As you go out into the workplace, you're there to be the light of Jesus Christ wherever you are. And not thinking that in order for me to be of value, I have to leave all those things behind. What Carol was talking about, the scripture lays out for us that we are not to despise a day of small things. Man, a lot of people in in the 15 plus years that I've been in the ministry that have come up and at one time or another say, well, I really feel like God's calling me to ministry but their focus was to be on a Sunday morning or, or to be teaching or to be up on the stage. And when, when we would say, hey, we've got opportunity for service. We've got opportunity in children's ministry. We've got opportunity with the youth. But it was like that they valued that as something little. That's something small. I want to do great things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do great things. But what we seriously have to realize, what we really need to recognize is... God's going to use us right where we are. And you cannot touch lives in a greater degree than the lives that you can touch working with kids and reaching out to them with the truth of the Word of God. So we don't want to be those who say, hey, God's called me in this place, but but I want something better. When I was a youth pastor, there were a lot of youth pastors that thought being a youth pastor was a stepping stone. 
the overall goal being a youth pastor is one day to be a senior pastor. And that does happen sometimes. But I'm not sure it's a promotion. And the reality of all of that is simple. Hey, while I'm here, I want to be the best here I can be. And I can't be that if I'm watering the grass in somebody else's yard. Can I? Because the grass is greener where you water it, right? It's not greener on the other side of the fence. If you're watering the other side of the fence, be green over there. If you water the grass at home, it's green here. If you water the grass in the ministry that you serve in, that's going to fulfill your need in ministry. So be sensitive and realize, hey, I'm in the ministry right now, wherever I'm at. I put my faith and trust in Christ, and I am to fulfill that great commission. And I can fulfill that wherever I'm at. Whatever job I'm in, whatever city I live in, wherever God leads me, I can accomplish it. So the Lord says, hey, wherever you are, look at where you are now as that primary place, Lord, how can I serve you in this place? Uh, he goes on and says, now concerning virgins. The word for virgins is partheneo. It means those who have never been married. Those who are never married. Now before when we talked about unmarrieds, it was those who had been made unmarried. But now he's talking about guys' daughters, their, their kids, the people that are coming up looking uh, to be uh, married or, or making decisions on being married or single. He says, Now consider, uh, concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in His mercy has made trustworthy. Remember we talked about that last time. When Paul says there's no commandment from the Lord, he means God hadn't specifically taught on this issue in the Old Testament or Jesus Christ in the New. But it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's not speaking to Paul and giving to us sound, inspired, biblical advice. Hey, here's, here's where Paul's coming from in this issue. He says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress. It is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, specifically, he's talking about to the unmarried. And he's saying, due to the present distress, you, got, you cannot remove what was happening in Corinth. The, the beginning of Caesar worship is taking place. They're entering into a time of persecution such as you and I can't even relate to. They're entering into a time where, where a husband and wife would be divided and one killed before the other in an effort to make them recant their faith. So Paul is saying, listen, because of the present distress, because of the issues that are going on in the world today, he says, I suppose it'd be better if they weren't married. It's better, it doesn't mean it's a sin if they get married, understand. He's not telling us what's sin or not sin. He's saying it might be better because of what's going on. Think about things. When I look at this section of Scripture, here's, here's what God's Word is laying out for us. When we enter into marriage, we need to be thinking about it. Most of the time when we enter into marriage, we enter in with stars in our eyes. Oh, we have love. And that's all we'll ever need. And so that love will carry us through the hungry nights. The cold evenings when we, we don't have enough money for a fire. Or if we have to live in a tent or the back of the car because we have each other. Now, you can look at me all crazy, but every one of us said that somewhere along the ways as, as we were coming up. What Paul's going to lay out for us is really pray about, consider, think about prior to making the commitment. Once you've made that commitment to the Lord, keep the commitment that you made. And God honors those things. So he's saying, listen, it's, 
It's better now because of the way the world is. But take a look at what he says. He says, now, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Don't make your primary goal seeking these things. Because when we do that, we think the reason I'm unsatisfied with my life right now is because I'm not married. Or the reason I'm unsatisfied with my life right now is because I am married. And both of those are wrong. The reason we're unsatisfied with our life has everything to do with our relationship to Jesus Christ and how much or how close to, to Him we are drawing much more than it has to do with any of the other people in our lives. And the, as sooner we take responsibility and realize that my happiness, my attitude is directly related to my place in Christ. Am I drawing near Him and not blame it on somebody else or someone else is responsible for the way I feel, but other, rather drawing near unto the Lord, drawing close to Him. Again, Paul emphasizes, don't look for something that you don't already have as though that's the thing that's going to make you happy. We talked about it last week, right? Go to any hairdresser. You'll see cur- girls with curly hair making it straight. Girls with straight hair making it curly. Girls with long hair making it short. Short hair making it long. Why? Because we always think what will make us happy is what we don't have. But what God is indicating to us is your ability to be happy is right where you are right now and right with the person that you are with right now. Your ability to to find fulfillment is all part of where God has brought you and how God has tied you together. And in a marriage relationship, if we look at a marriage relationship like a triangle, if I want to get closer to my wife... My wife is on one base angle and I'm on the other base angle. If I want to get closer to her, there's only one way to do it. I have to go up toward the Lord. I go up toward Christ and husband and wife get closer, closer, closer until they're as close together as they can be. That's the key. That is the key. So as he lays this out for us, we're not to be looking for something that we don't have as though that's the thing that's missing. That's not the thing that's missing. And look what he says. Uh, in verse 28, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. And we're not talking about sin here. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, and I would spare you. For those of you who are married, you ought to put this verse up on your fridge for a promise verse. Because this is what it's saying. In marriage, you will have conflict. Period. It's not in most marriages you will have conflict. It's not in some marriages you will have conflict. It is. If you're married, you will have conflict. Our issue is if we think that's somehow bad. That's not bad. It is not bad to have conflict. Think about every other area of your life. When do we grow? When do we develop? When we are in conflict. When I took kids in football, how did I make them bigger and stronger? I tore their bodies apart in the weight room. I tore them apart on the, on the football field. I broke them down and they came back stronger. And we see that in other areas of our life. In other things going on. We have to come to the place where we realize conflict is good. How you deal with conflict is another matter altogether. If when we experience conflict, we are letting that conflict take us out of self-control... We need to realize that God's Word teaches us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's evidenced in our life through self-control. And we all know we have it, don't we? 
We make a choice to be in self-control or out. You know how I know? Kathy and I could be brawling. She's screaming at me. My, my, my hair is blowing back. <clears throat> her, her face is beginning to peel, you know, and the skull come out like, like Cosby says. She's really upset. She's really mad. And the phone rings. What happens? Hello. What is that called? Self-control. The question is, are we willing to exercise self-control? Because it's something we have to decide that we're willing to do. We have to decide. Kathy and I learned a long time ago, we, we have what we call a passionate marriage. Because some people, they'll say, well, you know, in our marriage, we don't fight. We just kind of disagree once in a while, but we don't fight. Well, I'm here to tell you, Kathy and I will brawl. If it... <laughs> but we don't stay in that. We don't stay there. We are passionate people. We, we each feel like we should have the floor all the time. And so that causes, but listen, what's that cause? Conflict. Now, what do you do with the conflict? Well, Kathy and I made a decision a long time ago. We're not ever going to talk about divorce. We're not going to quit. I don't want to be a quitter. I want to be somebody who faced the challenges of life, overcame and moved on. So we come together in that conflict and we say it helps us grow to learn how to deal with these issues with one another in a godly way. To allow God's spirit to minister through us. And to not try to sell everybody on the fact that, hey, we never get mad. Folks, we are just like everybody else. We get mad too. We have good days and bad days, sad days, happy days, all those things working through. The key is, in the conflict, find resolution and energize your marriage. That's where, that's where the energizing comes from. So realize, conflict is good. But learn to deal with the conflict in a godly way. Learn to deal with the conflict, allowing the Lord to be the center and realizing He calls me to die to myself and live for my wife. And He calls my wife to die to herself and live for me. So in order for there to be an argument or a fight, one of us isn't doing that. Most often, both of us aren't doing that. So God brings us back to that place and reminds us, die to yourself. Die to yourself. And live to be other-centered, focused on the needs of your spouse. And as we do that, God unites us. What Paul's laying out for the people in Corinth, hey, he can see on the horizon the persecution that's coming. And he says, look, I think it would be better for you to stay single. But if you marry, you haven't sinned. If you don't marry, you haven't sinned. But know this. Understand, go into marriage knowing that there are going to be times that you bang your head against your spouse. And that's expected. Why? Because in Genesis, God made them male and female. He created them. Why does He tell us that? Why didn't He just say, I made them human? He told us He made us male and female because we're different. We're not the same. And most of the conflict that we run into in marriage is when I try to make Kathy see things my way. And Kathy tries to make me see things her way. And we could be saying the same words and we mean different things. How many of you guys know that? 
Yeah, brother, we know. What do you mean? I'll give you a prime example. I have nothing to wear. If a man says that, he means he doesn't have anything clean. If a woman says that, she means I don't have anything new. It is not the same thing. It's not the same thing. We, we hear things as men differently, same words, we hear things differently than women hear things. That's not bad. It's the way it was intended to be, to cause us to grow. The problem is when I say, okay, now here's the reality. If you were just like me, things would be better. So you need to hear like I hear, see like I see, be like I, like I am. And I do that to my wife and she does that to me. What's the reality? The reality is God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper comparable to him. Do you ever notice how opposites attract? Do you know why? Opposites attract because my weakness is covered by a strength in my wife's life. Because we're different. And her weakness is covered by a strength in my life. And then we also need to realize this truth. Everything that we think is a strength has a backside of weakness. And every backside of weakness has a front-sided strength. What do I mean? Well, with, listen, if we consider what's going on, maybe I'm a very clean person. <laughs> and, and Kathy... <laughs> And Kathy is a very sloppy person. So in Kathy's utter sloppiness, I I pick up the house. I go around and clean things up. I take care of things. I I make sure all those things are are handled. But that becomes a backsided weakness if that's all I can focus on and and I can't do anything else. So Kathy comes alongside and tells me, hey, it's okay. Sometimes it's okay to let things go a minute and do something more important. So that strength became a weakness, and her weakness strengthened me. That's what we have in marriage. And we need to realize, if we are constantly trying to change our spouse into something that they're not, you're going to be banging your head against the wall because God gave you the person you have. Because you need them. Because they match with you. They fill the gaps in your strengths and weaknesses in your life. And the sooner you learn to trust each other in that and realize, I'm not here to be like you. I'm here to meet that need. I'm here to fill that space between us. The sooner we'll be able to move forward and recognize conflict is okay. In conflict, we grow. In conflict, we understand truly what walking the walk of Jesus is all about. Because you look at his life. He had conflict, didn't he? He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, and at the same time, every child wanted to be near him. Why is that? Because he didn't walk around like a sourpuss. He walked around like, hey, I'm going to give the sunshine because it's a beautiful day. It doesn't matter if my life's upside down and everybody wants to kill me. I'm going to give you the sunshine, because God is still God. Love is still love. We can still change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. All those things remain true. So we want to understand that. We want to go into our marriages knowing there's supposed to be conflict, 
And we want to go into our marriages knowing that conflict makes us stronger, not to hide from it. Again, there's other ways that men and women are different. For example, men grow up being taught to be honorable. Men compartmentalize. What does that mean? That means that men have boxes. They think in boxes. We think in boxes. So if you go to your husband and you say, what are you thinking about? And he says nothing, that's what he means. (laughs) He is in the nothing box. Now, women cannot understand that. Whatever. There's no way just to be sitting around not thinking about anything. Yeah, there is. If you are a man, you can do it. If you're not, sorry. We do have a nothing box. We also have a sex box. And the sex box touches every other box in our minds. So that's why that can come up all from out of nowhere. Bloop, where'd that come from? Well, that box was right next to the nothing box. I got out of the nothing box and I got into that box. But we learned very early compartmentalize. We're able to separate ourselves from our feelings. Now, women look at that and they say, that's a weakness. Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. For example, you find yourself in war and you're in the trenches and somebody's blowing a whistle telling you to charge against the enemy. How is it that men are able to do that? Because they take their fear, they put it in a box, they close the lid and they do what's got to be done. It's called honor. And in a relationship, when there's conflict, sometimes men, when they're coming to a point where they're having a hard time dealing with things or they're starting to lose self-control, sometimes men will do what they consider to be the honorable thing and they'll be quiet and they won't respond and they'll withdraw. Just like an alpha male dog looking at another male dog and that dog puts down its head. Why? Because the other opportunity, the other thing is tear out your throat. And I don't want to do that, so I'm going to do the honorable thing. We're different. A woman will look at that and say, if you cared, you'd want to come together. If you cared, you want to come together and talk. A woman will confront to increase love. So she wants to confront you and work this issue out. And you're trying to withdraw because you're trying to be honorable. And you're different. And you think you're supposed to be like each other. You're not. But you have to learn to allow your strengths and weaknesses to function together to increase your love and respect for one another and cause you to draw nearer to the Lord and nearer to one another. We're not the same. It's okay. But we have to start looking at one another in our marriages. We have to start looking at one another and not automatically assuming that our goal in life is to destroy you. We have to stop imputing ill will to one another. When Sometimes when my wife says something and I want to assume she meant this by it and we have this little fight, we didn't have to have that fight. I imputed ill will to her. The Bible says one of the things about love is it bears no record of wrong. doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Love, love sees more because it's willing to see less. And we have to learn to treat one another that way. We have to learn to recognize there is conflict. We're not the same. It's okay. It's okay to be different. But in that difference, we've got to allow it to bring us together. 
so that we can grow in our marriages, so that we can move forward. Listen what he says now. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. What? He's saying, listen, the time is short, folks. Jesus Christ, Paul, at the time he wrote this, thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, whatever, when he's writing these words, he's saying, the time is short. What does that mean? That means we're supposed to live our life like Jesus Christ is coming back. And it's the time is too short for us to be wasting a lot of time throwing hate back and forth. We got to learn to dwell together in unity. We got to learn to dwell together in peace. Because when Jesus comes back, I don't want to be arguing with Kathy trying to prove that I'm right and she's wrong. To a God who set aside his rights and took all my wrongs. I'm not following in his footsteps when I do that. Jesus came, set aside his rights to take my wrongs, and I'm supposed to complain and make sure that that I demand my rights? That's not his way. Let the mind of Christ be in you. The time is short. The time is short. So stay focused on the things we need, the things that are important. One of the things I'll never forget, Pastor Gerald said... Pastor Gerald said that him and Cindy were passionate like Kathy and I. And Cindy was the kind of person that was more than happy to tell you how she felt about any given situation. It's not bad. It's good. But she, so there would be conflict with them. And and there were times, just like all of us, they'd have good times, bad times, hard struggle, fighting, this and that. But... When she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and they were pretty sure that there was not going to be any cure except that God does a healing work. Do you know from that day for the next year, year was it more than a year, year and a half, they didn't fight one time? How come? Because they realized how stupid it was and how important life is. And so they focused on that. And all that other stuff just went away. And so... When he, when he shared that with us, I think this is what Paul's laying out for us. Hey, time's short. Jesus is coming back. The world's in chaos. Things are going sideways. Focus on what's important. Focus on what's important and stop fighting about the things that don't matter. Stop fighting about those things that want to rip us off. So, he says then, those who weep as though they didn't weep. Those who rejoice like they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it for the form of this world is passing away. Do you know all our stuff is going to burn? When the Lord lets go of the world, Peter tells us that the earth will melt with a fervent heat. Not even my bulletproof guitar will survive that. It's going to burn just like everything else. And if I'm allowing my things and my stuff to rule over me, I need to be reminded all that stuff is going to burn. What matters, what's not going to burn, is relationships. Our relationship with one another, our relationship with our wife, our relationships in our families. Those are the things that matter. How we touch other people, those are the things that matter, not the other stuff. So he says, hey, time is short. The world is passing away. Jesus Christ is coming back. Hey, let's stay focused on what matters. Remember the beginning of the message of 1 Corinthians. Keep the main thing the main thing. 
And that works also in our relationships, in our marriages, and in as we walk around as single folk. Now look what he says. I want you to be without care. I want you to be without worry. For he who is married cares for the things of the... Or he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit. Not that I try to put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. This is bottom line reality. I knew this, this young man named Jeff Roganback. Incredible missionary. Single guy. Unmarried. He got in to see the Dalai Lama in Tibet. In this Tibetan monastery in the mountains where you couldn't drive to. You had to walk. He walked all the way in there. Saw the Dalai Lama when he was like an eight-year-old kid or something. And he goes up to him and he handed him a, a tape deck that you wind up with your hand and it would play the Gospels. And he could hear the Gospels in his language. And the Dalai Lama has an opportunity to, to make a decision about Christ or for Christ because this guy who wasn't married and wasn't tied down anywhere could go on this, this journey through Tibet, through the mountains, getting to know the culture to get all the way to the Dalai Lama. The reality is he probably wouldn't have been able to do that if he was married. It's okay. Not sin. One way or the other. But in one area, you're able to serve the Lord without distraction. Because I don't have to worry about whether or not the house payment's made. Or whether or not I got enough food on the table. for. If I'm just taking care of me, let's face it. I can get by pretty easy. But the Bible says, for a husband, he is to care for his family. A man that does not care for his family is worse than an unbeliever. That's what the Bible teaches. So my focus becomes, in a married relationship, taking care of my family. i got to do that. That's fulfilling God's plan for my life when I do that. And I realize the things that I'm not able to do now, at this moment. But listen, in my marriage, I've been to the Amazon rainforest. I've been in the jungle. I've been to Russia. I've been to Greece. I've been to Israel. The Lord's opened doors for me to, to minister around the world, to go in and teach Bible conferences and reach out to people while I was married. Why? Because you're faithful in the little things. God will give you more. But if you're unsatisfied, uncontent in the little things, you stay in the little things until you learn that lesson. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to stay in that place until you get... I can fulfill this part. Now listen to what happened to Jeff Roganback. He's out doing all these, this crazy ministry. I used to love it when he'd come to church and he'd start talking about all the places he'd been and what God had been doing in his life. And then one day as he's working and he's, he's ministering and he's doing all these crazy things, he looked to his left and there was a woman doing it with him. Now they weren't married, but all of a sudden they find themselves serving the Lord together in this crazy way. And the next thing you know... He's in love. He feels God's direction, God's call. They decide to get married. Now they have a family. He doesn't go to those crazy places anymore. He takes care of his family. He does what he needs to do. One is not a sin, nor is the other. But one provides more freedom. That's what Paul's saying. I can have, you can have more freedom if you're single 
to do these things. But if you are married, live married. If you're single, live single. Don't try to get back and forth. That's when we fall into sin. That's when we fall into sin. When a single person's living married and they're not married, that's sin. Clear. Bible calls it out. Married person wants to live single, that's sin. Knock it off. Bloom where you're planted. Fulfill God's call for your life exactly where you are. In verse 36. Now, if a man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin... Now, he's talking about a man and his young unmarried daughter. Remember, in that culture, they would have weddings. They would pick who their, their uh, girls were going to marry. And so he's saying, listen, there's some of the fathers were saying... It'll be more holy if I don't ever marry her off? Or will it be less holy if I, if I don't do that? That's the question Paul's answering here. He says, listen, if a man thinks he's behaving improperly toward his virgin and holding her back from marriage, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. He goes on, nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart having no necessity but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin daughter, he does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well and he who does not give her in marriage does better because of the times, because of what's going on. Life will be a little bit easier. They won't have to go through the the struggles of marriage. But it's not sin. It's not a question of that. It's a question of what is expedient. And what is God calling you to? If you have a desire to be married, we talked about this last time. If the Lord's placed in your heart a desire to be married, then you probably are not called to be celibate. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to be celibate and not to be married, then you're probably not called to be married. Don't try to be what you're not. Be what God has called you to be. But whatever you choose, it's not sin. You get married, it's not a sin. You don't get married, it's not a sin. Just submit your life to God and allow Him to direct you, allow Him to guide you. So in verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. You see that phrase, right? Marry a believer. Learn to save yourself grief. I can't even tell you how many times... Folks have decided to go out and a, and a girl meets a guy that's not a believer and a girl's a Christian and she just knows she's going to change him. Hey, ladies, how many of you have changed your husband so far? It doesn't work out so oh, just Just Jason and Danielle. <laughs> Danielle's, Danielle's got them whipped into shape. But for the rest of us, There's not necessarily that change that takes place. You think you're going to change them. Listen, God's Word says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Be equally yoked. For what fellowship has light with darkness? You're going to struggle all the way through. Now, if I am married to an unbeliever, and he wants to be married to me, or she wants to be married to me, then you be the best example you can be, and you don't leave. You don't quit. You don't give up. You move forward, and you make it work. You do what it takes. You, you fulfill the call that God has laid on your life. You f- fulfill what He's telling you to do. And how long are you bound? Till your husband or wife dies. Till death do us part. That's what we said in our, in our uh, what do you call those things? 
vows. Thanks, babe. Wow. <laughs> she never forgot those vows yet. She's got them down. To honor and obey and trust and obey again. <coughs> so, but when we look at those things, we need to realize when we're considering marriage for the young folks that aren't married, and I'm, I'm, I'm considering marriage, don't go into it with those goo-gooey eyes thinking, well, we're going to be the exception to the rule. Up, uh, pardon me, there is no exception to the rule. But you go into it with your eyes open and realizing what it is, realizing the differences between men and women, it is the single greatest relationship you will experience on earth. Period. That's the way God intended it to be. And that's the way it is when it's brought under His guidelines and in His rule. But we need to realize, when I'm married, what was the, what was the point? Till death do us part. Till death do us part. I'll never forget, the, whatever, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30. How old am I? Gosh, so it's like 20-something years ago? Oh, have, Lord have mercy, I'm getting old. So, I remember sitting on a, on a couch looking at my wife, and we had been going through a real difficult time in our marriage. I had been unfaithful, and I was just, had just, at the Marine Corps, been given the news that I had tested positive for HIV. Kathy was seven months pregnant with our first child, and this is the situation I'm in. I sat on that couch across from her, and I told her, Babe, I just tested positive for HIV. She, I finally talked her into coming home because of all the rotten things I'd done. I'm going to change, baby. I'm going to be different. I promise it's not going to be like it was before. It's not, I'm not going to make those same mistakes anymore. But every time I'd done it before, I messed up again. And I sat there and I told her, I have HIV. My sin is going to condemn you and my unborn child to death. And sitting in that place and realizing those things, I told her she had every right to tell me, get, get out. I knew I should have never been with you. I should have never stayed. This is a big mistake. She looked at me, and somewhere inside of her, the Spirit moved, gave her grace, and she told me she didn't want me to die. She didn't think about herself. She didn't think about the baby. She didn't think about all those rotten things that we had done, and 20-some years ago, 21 or 22 years ago, God began to do this work in our marriage. And from that point, He brought us to where we are today. He, he healed me of HIV. My son was born healthy. Now he has a baby, and he's married. Kathy and I are still married 23 years later. We're still going strong. We're still moving forward. If we can overcome that, then I don't want to hear about what you think is tearing you guys apart. That's, it's bunk. God is able to give you above and beyond what you can even imagine if you trust Him. If you put your marriage in His hands, if you put your life in His hands. God, I want to be married so bad. Well, trust the Lord. Don't try to change your own position. Just be what God's calling you to be. Move forward. What will God do? He'll meet your need. One day you'll be serving the Lord and you'll look over like Jeff Rogan back and there she'll be. But you don't got to go look for her. The Lord will bring her. We want to trust Him. We want to live our life 
in His empowerment and allow God to, to make our lives everything that they can be. Because today, Kathy and I can say, our marriage fulfills our needs. Perfect? No. Do we still argue? Yes. Remember I said, in marriage you're going to have what? Conflict. It's okay. But we're going to grow beyond that conflict, and we're going to be better for it. So, we took it seriously. A man or a woman is bound to his wife as long as she lives. As long as he lives. Stay bound. Don't seek to be loosed. If loosed, don't seek to be bound. Allow God to work. Allow God to guide. Allow God to direct. He says in verse 40, Now, she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. He says, listen, I think it will be easier if you don't. But if you do, then don't do it with a little part of your heart. Do it with all of it. If you're going to serve God, how much of you does He want? Does He just want the peace you're willing to give? Does He just want your pinky nail? Lord, I'll serve you this much. God wants it all. Every bit. And the work of sanctification in our lives is all about God breaking into them closets. We got closed off from Him. And allowing Him to go through those and straighten them out. So if I'm going to be married... I'm going to be married with my whole heart and obey what God's Word calls me to do. If I'm going to be single, I'm going to be single with my whole heart and not worry about everything else. I'm going to trust the Lord and do what God's calling me to do. There's not sin either way. It's just two different roads, two different paths. Whatever path you find yourself on this morning, you walk that path like Jesus Christ is coming back this afternoon and watch it change your life. You walk that path as though any moment you're going to come face to face with Him. And what is that last great act you want to be remembered for? What's that last thing you want to have said prior to Jesus' return? You let that govern your life, and all of a sudden, self-control becomes a lot easier thing to grasp. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank You that we can come before You. We thank You, Father, for the truth of Your Word, Father. And God, we just ask that You would move uh, just in a mighty way by the power of Your Spirit, Father, as we just seek to honor and glorify You in our lives, wherever we are. If we're, if we're single, praise the Lord. Let's move forward and do what God's calling us to do. If we're married, praise the Lord. Let's overcome those conflicts and move forward in what God is calling us to do because the time is short. We shouldn't be playing around, making mistakes, doing dumb things. We want to move forward. We want to be always constantly moving toward the Lord. As we do all our relationships in our life with other believers, they're going to come closer together. That's the key. So may we just serve you, God, with our whole heart. May we draw unto you with our whole heart. May we desire to be where you're calling us to be so that we, Father, can realize the, the truth of what you want for us. For you came to give us life more abundantly. Yes. If I'm not experiencing the abundant life, I'm not walking in your footprints. Let us walk in your footsteps. Let us experience the fact that abundant life is all about not being able to be knocked out. We might be knocked down, but we're not out. We might be persecuted, but we're not destroyed. No, we're going to overcome. Because you overcame. 
And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So, Lord, I ask that you would move in a mighty way by your Spirit. Father, that you would bring your comfort and peace in our lives. God, that we would desire to follow you all the days of our life until that moment when we see you face to face. And may our greatest desire on earth be to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. May our greatest reward that we desire be the reward to receive the crown of righteousness for all who love your appearing. That means for all those who focus, who live their life as though you're returning. God, may that be our desire. May it change who we are. May it make our lives better. May it make our marriages better. May it make our families better. As we submit our lives fully and completely to you and enjoy all that you are going to do. So, Father, we thank you for this time. And we ask that your spirit would accomplish that perfect work in our lives as we lay it out before you. We pray for your anointing and your touch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.